are you growing or are you withering? Are you growing? Are you growing or are you withering? Just think about this. As you look back over your Christian life, are you aware of spiritual growth? As you look back, not one year because, I mean, it, it happens gradually, but if you look back over five years, if you look back over ten years, if you look back over your Christian life, are you aware of spiritual growth? Do you love Jesus more? Do you desire to know him more? Is there a greater hunger in your soul for him than there has been in the past? Are you more loving Are you more gracious? What would those who are close to you say about that? Because if the answer is no, then it's possible that you are withering spiritually. Because, you see, there is no neutral. What we're going to see this morning is if we are not growing, then we're likely to be withering. If we're not moving forwards, then it's likely we are going backwards. Okay, because there's no neutral. One of the the great lies of the enemy is that uh, there's such a thing as neutral in the Christian life. There isn't. The Christian life is like riding a bike. If you're not moving forward, you risk falling off. Now, listen, I'm not talking about losing your salvation, all right? But the truth is you could lose everything else. And that's why Paul, uh, the apostle, warns the Corinthians uh, in 1 Corinthians 10. He he reminds them of Israel's checkered past. And he says, so if you think that you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. In other words, don't be complacent. And I really feel the Lord has been challenging me personally about this in just in recent months because you know I look around me and I see people falling well-known leaders as well as personal friends who have fallen into moral failure fallen into error who are making a shipwreck of their lives of their their faith their marriages so many marriages And it's sobering. And it's causing me to ask myself, you know, am I still growing? Am I still pursuing the Lord in my own life? Because if I'm not, I'm vulnerable. And so are you. And so there is a warning that we need to heed in this message. But at the same time, there's also a great encouragement And I really want us to get hold of this because I do believe that God wants to encourage us today to know him more. We've been singing, more of you, Lord. And I just believe he loves to hear that. It's a prayer he longs to answer, that we would want more of him, know more of him. Because you know what? He's got so much more for us than we're currently experiencing. You know, we sing it, but we kind of think, yeah, well, life just goes on and, you know, it's never going to be any different to this. Well, no, God... There is so much more he has for us. More joy, more peace, more love, more power, more of him. Because eternal life is in knowing him, isn't it? It's having a relationship with the most magnificently awesome, incomparably beautiful being in the whole universe. Right? The the creator and the sustainer of all things, in whose presence, the Bible says, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. He is the one who who delights to lavish his love on us and who wants to fill us with unspeakable joy. And it's a blessing God intends for us to experience in increasing measure as we grow to know Jesus. It's a blessing that God really wants us all to live in the good of. So I don't want us to become introspective this morning. That's not going to help us, all right? 
Um, neither should this lead us to try and work harder, pedal faster, do better, all right? Because that will have the opposite effect. The answer is Jesus. It's in knowing him, keeping our eyes on him, pursuing him. That's my goal this morning. And that was the goal of the Apostle Peter in writing his second letter as he came to the end of his life, a life in which he had experienced failure. I mean, he himself had fallen, and yet he found grace and forgiveness in Jesus that enabled him to keep on growing and to become a significant leader in the church. And in his second letter, we find him encouraging other Christians to do the same. That's what I want us to look at now as we consider what it means to grow or to wither. So if we can just start then, before we turn to the text, let me just give you some background uh, to his second letter. Because in the first chapter of the letter, that's where he makes it clear that he expects to die soon. In fact, Jesus had already forewarned a violent ending to Peter's life by crucifixion. You you can read that. It's implied there in, in John 21. And Peter, who must have been now over 60 years old, he no doubt must be sensing that his death is imminent, but rather than being concerned for himself and what lay ahead, he's concerned for the church that he's going to leave behind. And that's why he's writing this letter. And it seems, you see, that there were corrupt teachers in the churches who were leading people astray by distorting the truth and by their licentious way of life. They were denying the testimony of the apostles that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so they were saying, well, therefore, he can't be coming back again. No, no, you know, life is just going to go on as it always has done. There's not going to be any final reckoning, which was convenient because it meant they could just ignore the teachings of Jesus on sex and money. Convenient because they themselves were sleeping around and making money by teaching this stuff. They were teaching on Christian freedom, but using it as a license to do whatever. It was a distortion of... Paul's teaching on grace. And of course, we still face that today, don't we? Cheap grace. So Paul's writing this letter to warn the churches of these false teachers and to tell them there is coming a day of reckoning. God has already intervened in creating this world out of nothing. And he's going to come again when he will burn up all the evil and injustice and renew the heavens and the earth. That's the promise we're waiting for, he says. And it's in the light of that day, that coming day, that Peter challenges his readers to continue to grow. It's the main theme of his second letter, right? He begins the letter with it, he ends it with it, that we as followers of Jesus should never stop growing. So now let's just read the final words recorded of the Apostle Peter in 2 Peter 3.17. He says this, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Could be argued that the main thing that we are called to do as Christians in the Christian life is summed up in these words here, right? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Six years ago, uh, Emma and I uh, bought a dilapidated house uh, to renovate. And at the back of the house was just an area of asphalt and weeds and patchy grass and not very attractive. And so we drew up a plan and had someone put a fence in, and then we dug up some flower beds and put down some paving stones and planted some shrubs and flowers, and today we have a beautiful, flourishing garden. A little bit too flourishing right now. Uh, Of course, it didn't happen overnight, right? It took a lot of work and tending that garden, and... uh, as you know, and, and it's, an, it's an ongoing work. In fact, uh, we just planted in the spring five evergreen 
shrubs against the fence, which I'm hoping are going to grow to nine feet tall and block out our neighbors. <laughs> and I felt a little conflicted about it because <laughs> in our community groups, uh, we just started actually as I was planting them uh, a series called The Art of Neighboring. <laughs> and then we get PJ's message as well about love your neighbor and I'm building a, a wall. <laughs> but this time, okay, because it takes a while to grow. And um, but you can't just plant something and hope it's going to grow. You really can't be complacent, can you, in a garden? Because plants don't grow in a vacuum. They need a certain type of soil. They need you know, the right amount of sunlight. They need watering. They, you know, it needs you to do weeding because otherwise they suck up all the nutrients. Uh, you've got to keep out the critters that want to eat your plants. Or in our case, you know, you've got to keep the dog indoors uh, when you're planting something. Our dog... Uh, if, it's, if she sees us digging a hole to plant something, that's a game. And so we have to keep her indoors so she can't see what we're doing. Uh, because otherwise, when we're not looking, she is out and she's redigging that hole and along, throwing everything out with it. So all these things threaten the growth of a plant and its ability to survive. And it's the same for us and our churches. We are called to grow. But it's not in a vacuum, is it? Because we've got the world, the flesh, and the devil to contend with. Okay, there is truth we have to contend for, especially when we're encountering temptations and the trials of life and the culture around us, the people around us who influence us. Right? The point being, we do not have the option to remain neutral because we're not living in a neutral environment. It's not like, you know, if we don't grow, we'll just remain the same. No. Right? That's not an option. Remaining static. A plant that is not growing is going to wither and die. And really, that's what Peter is saying here in his final words to the church. He says, look, don't get carried away by the error of others and so fall from your secure position, but rather grow. The implication is it's either one or the other. Either we grow or we wither. In fact, when Peter first wrote this, the Greek word he used that's translated in our Bibles as fall is the word ekpipto. Ekpipto. It's used um, elsewhere in the New Testament. Actually, when you see where it's used, it really helps to uh, give a better understanding of that word. So, for example, in Galatians where Paul, Paul says there, you have fallen from grace. That's the word, ekpipto. But it's also used in Acts 27 to describe a potential shipwreck, where it says they feared they might run aground. Same word. Or in James 1, it talks about how fragile prosperity is, and he said it's like a flower that withers under the heat of the sun. Same word, ekpipto. It means to fall away, to run aground, and to wither. And you see, that's what we're in danger of if we're not growing. We're either growing or withering. That's the implication of Peter's words here. There isn't the option to remain neutral because we are not living in a neutral environment. Are you with me? That's why complacency breeds vulnerability. So uh, just ask yourself right now again, am I growing or am I withering? Now, as we consider that, it's important to understand what we're called to grow in. And what does Peter say? He says we're to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, that must mean, in part, growing in our knowledge about Jesus. You know, growing in our knowledge of the truth. Because actually, just prior to this text, Peter talks about, he says, he says there in 2 Peter 2.16, he says, Paul's letters, which he says ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. And then goes on to say what we just read. Therefore, having been forewarned, be on your guard. 
Don't carry the, get carried away by the error of the lawless, but rather grow. All right? So knowing the truth is important to protect us from error. And, and this is important because there's a lot of false teaching out there today, readily available on the Internet, okay? Um, much of which is just a very subtle twisting of the truth. Okay, and it, it's, they're distortions of the gospel. And actually, most of them are no different to the ones that were around in Peter's day. They just get repackaged. So let me just share some false gospels that we should be aware of, okay? For example, there's the therapeutic gospel. That's where, you know, Jesus died to make you special, right? God wants you to feel good about yourself. So let's not be using these words like sin and repentance, right? No, let's just focus on God's unconditional love. God loves you as you are. So you just be you. Follow your heart, right? Which usually translates to live however you want because God loves you anyway. And again, it's a perversion of grace. There's a truth in it, but it's twisted. Can you see? Because you see, it's focused on me and not Jesus. Here's another one. The self-help gospel. This is where Jesus died so you can be a better you. Right? So let's focus how you can be the best you that God created you to be. So here's four tips for being the best father you can be. Here's five rules for a healthy marriage. So lots of good advice, but very little good news. And again, it focuses on me and not Jesus. Or how about the prosperity gospel in its various forms? Right? Jesus died so that I can receive material blessing, health, wealth, and happiness. And, it, and again, it so often emphasizes what we need to do to, re, to receive that blessing. It's kind of cause and effect. Whether it's praying in a particular way or giving in order to get, but it's focused on the gifts rather than the giver. Then there's the moralistic gospel. God will accept me if I'm a good, decent, moral person. Right? The whole focus of uh, the Christian life is about being good. Whereas the gospel says no one is good or could ever be good enough. Right? We're not saved. We're not accepted because we're good, but because he is good. Right? And then finally, a common one in, in many churches, the legalistic gospel. If we you know, just obey all the rules, then God will bless me, right? How can I please God? Well, keep the rules, work harder, because this is performance-based, right? This is on how I'm doing. Whereas actually, no, the gospel says it's not about what we have to do to please God. It's what Jesus has already done on our behalf in living the perfect life that we failed to live and dying the death we deserve to die on our behalf. Right? You see, it's not about us. All these distortions of the gospel tend to put us in the center. But it's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus and what he's done. You see, the gospel is a story in which Jesus is the hero. Say, Jesus is the hero. When we make it about us, we wither. Because we, you see, cannot generate life. Life doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus and only him. Right? The eternal life is found in knowing him. And that's why the goal here is not just to grow in our knowledge about Jesus, but in our knowledge of Jesus. That's really what ultimately... Peter's talking about is about knowing him. It's not enough just to know the truth and be able to refute error because Jesus is the truth. It's about having a personal relationship, a life-giving relationship with him. And that's what Peter is calling us to. So the goal is not to grow in knowledge itself. The goal is Jesus, which means our focus shouldn't even be on growing. 
We shouldn't be focusing on growing. Okay, I know it sounds crazy after everything I've said, but growth shouldn't be our goal either. The fact is we cannot make anything grow, right? You can't say to a plant, plant, grow. Come on, grow. You can't do it. It's not down to us. Growth comes from God. Growth comes because there is life. No life, no growth. And life comes from God. So for us, spiritual life starts when we are born again, when his spirit births new life in us. So as Peter puts it at the beginning of this letter, he says we've become participants in the divine nature. Right? We get to participate. I mean, this amazing privilege of participating in the eternal life of God himself. How mind-blowing is that? And that's what the Christian life is about. It's what it means to be a Christian. And it's his life in us that causes us to grow. But it does need to be nurtured. And that's why Jesus says in John 15, he said, listen, it's like this. I'm the vine, you're the branches. The life is in the vine. So he says, abide in me. You can't grow. You cannot bear fruit by yourself, right? You have to abide in me and I in you, which implies there an ongoing intimate communion with him, relationship with him, doesn't it? That's what it's implying. What happens if we don't abide in him? Well, John 15, verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and what? Withers. That's why the focus and the goal of our lives is on Jesus. It's on knowing him. That's where life comes from. It's having the same attitude as the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Philippians saying, I want to know him. What? What do you mean, Paul? What do you mean? You had a life-changing encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. You talk about having these incredible revelations from him. You seem to have such a close relationship with him. What do you mean? And Paul says, precisely, that's why I want to know him more. What I've tasted, what I've seen, it just creates a greater thirst. I want to know him more. I want to be like him. I'm not there yet. I'm pressing on. That's the Apostle Paul. He was a man who made it his goal to grow in the grace and knowledge of his Lord and Savior. And as we grow to know him, we grow in his grace, as Peter says there. We grow in his attributes because we become like him. Now, of course, this is, this is a lifelong process, isn't it? No one here can say that they have arrived. Um, it's why there can't be any, any excuse for complacency. But listen to Michael Green, what he says in his commentary. He says, therefore, the Christian life is a developing life, for it consists in getting to know an ever greater depth and inexhaustible Lord and Savior. That's why Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they, along with all of the saints, includes all of us, he prays that we might comprehend how Wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, he says, that surpasses knowledge. It's not a head knowledge. It's this knowledge. We know him. That we might be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Is that your experience? It's what God wants for you. It's what he intends for every one of us, to know the joys and the blessings of eternal life that comes through this growing relationship with Jesus. It's why the great preacher, C.H. Spurgeon, once said this, he who grows not in the knowledge of Jesus refuses to be blessed. Hands up if you refuse to be blessed. Thank God for that, hey? No, we all want to be blessed. But it's something we experience as we grow in knowing Jesus. So the question is, how can we know him more? Okay, we can't achieve growth. It happens as we abide in him. 
but we can help to create the conditions that will promote and encourage that growth. So, for example, in the natural world, for things to grow, they usually need food, water, uh, air, exercise, nurture. And what is true in the natural so often is true in the spiritual. So I'm going to highlight just three areas, okay, that will help us to grow to know Jesus. And as I do, I want you to be asking yourself, what one thing, if it's just one thing even, that you might do, that you might go away from this place and focus on for the next period? Go and put into practice. Have you got a card? You should all have an envelope. Hold it up if you do. I would like you to fill those out. This is for yourself. I'm not going to be looking at these. No one's going to see them other than you. But I would like you, as you're hearing this, these applications, to think about what is God speaking to me personally about, about how he wants me to grow in him. Okay? I want you to write it down. This is for your own benefit. And also I want you to think about who might you ask to support you in this? to encourage you in this, just to put some real legs on it, okay? Maybe you want to write that person's name on there as well. Maybe you want to write their name on the front of the envelope. I don't know, right? You're going to take it with you. But as I'm talking now, I want you to be thinking, listening to what the Holy Spirit is saying, all right, what he wants to do in your life, and write that down, okay? So three areas, three areas that will help us to grow to know Jesus. The first is food, Food. By that, I mean what we take in. Again, in the natural, it's food, drink, air. It's what we fill ourselves with. The things we feed on, it's the atmosphere that we breathe in that will either help us to grow and flourish or might cause us to wither. So we have to be careful with our choices here. And the first thing we might choose to feed our souls on, of course, is God's Word, most importantly. Uh, Listen to Peter again from 1 Peter 2, verse 2. He says, Like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may what? Grow. And again, we're not talking here about just reading God's word, about hearing God's word preached, but really um, wanting to know Jesus. It's not to gain knowledge, it's to know Jesus. You might ask him, Lord, reveal yourself to me. Seek Jesus in his word. He's there. Right the way through, beginning to end. Okay? Seek Jesus in his word. Long to know him through his words. Okay? Um, Listen for his voice. And of course, do what he says. The book of James says that we are blessed, not just by hearing God's word, but by doing it, which is why I want you to write these things down. Right? It's the, the blessing comes in the doing. That's how we grow to know Jesus. It's in doing his will. And that's why there's a big difference, you see, in reading the Bible to gain knowledge or information and reading it to know Jesus. Because if it's just to increase our knowledge, you can read what it says about you know, sex, money, relationships, and so on, but you can read it in a kind of abstract kind of way. You can disengage with it and just analyze it and don't apply it to your life. But if you are reading it to know Jesus, you're engaging with Jesus through his living word, it's personal. And you will want to do what pleases him. So do you love God's word? Are you feeding on it? Are you digesting it, meditating on it, reading books about it, going to trilogy to study it? You know, when you look back on church history, all the giants of the Christian faith had a love for God's word. That's how they grew to be giants. Which incidentally is why it's good to read Christian biographies, if I can just recommend that. Because I know that I have grown in my love for Jesus and love for his word through reading the biographies of some of the great men and women of faith. People like Jackie Pullinger, C.T. Studd, George Whitfield, D.L. Moody. Right, it's through reading the life of D.L. Moody that put a, a desire in me to know more about God's word because of his passion for his word. It's what led me to go to seminary. Now, I suspect for many of you here, maybe all of you here, this is not an issue, is it? I mean, this is just basic stuff for you, I know. 
In which case, I want to challenge you to grow by teaching others. It's what the writer to the Hebrews says. He says, you should all be teachers by now. Listen to what he says, Hebrews 5.12. Talking to Hebrew Christians who are drifting away. And he says to them, though by this time you ought to be teachers... Actually, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's Word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. In other words, he's saying you're like, you're like infants. You should be more mature by now, teaching others. In other words, you need to grow up. Now, I don't think that's the case here, okay? But if it's not, then we should be teaching others. And so I want to challenge you. Who could you be sharing God's word with? Is there someone you could be discipling to know Jesus more in your church or in your family? I can honestly say I've come to know Jesus more through sharing him with others. Right? There's a dynamic in doing what pleases Jesus. And Jesus said, go make disciples. And what's more, he said, I'll be with you as you do it. I can honestly say I've come to know him more in sharing Jesus with others. He's with us in a very real way. So God's word is a, is a vital one, isn't it? it? Because it's food. This is food provided by God himself. Think about that. Now, if all we're feeding ourselves on is junk food... If, we're just, if all we're feeding ourselves on is unedifying books and movies and Netflix shows and news and gossip and so on, then we shouldn't be surprised if we become spiritually sick. It's like eating supersized burgers all the time. I think we've got a cartoon here. It's like eating supersized burgers. And we all know where that ends, don't we? In the end, you get heart disease. Spiritual heart disease. Thank you. Okay, prayer. Prayer's another big one, right? It's like the air we breathe. Listen, I know these are basic things, all right? God's word, prayer, but they are essential for life. Like food, like air we breathe. Essential for the Christian life, for our spiritual lives. It's helpful to have a regular prayer time. That there's a routine to our lives. It's part of the rhythm of our lives. That changes with the seasons. Emma and I, we tend to uh, pray together these days as we work, uh, walk in the early morning with our dog. That's a regular habit of ours. We didn't used to be able to do that with kids at home. We had different practice then. But finding those routines are helpful. But I want to also encourage you to be talking to Jesus through the day. Talk to him about what's going on in your life and what's going on around you. Ask him for wisdom. Ask him for strength. Ask him for guidance. Ask him for his provision as you go through your day. Ask him to fill you with his spirit regularly. I do. Every time I get up to preach, I'm, beforehand I've already prayed, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I ask him to fill you with his spirit because... Um, it's the Holy Spirit who makes our relationship with Jesus very real. It's by the Spirit that we experience God's love in our hearts. Right? It's the Spirit who empowers us to do His will. It's the Spirit who speaks to us God's words through His words or through dreams and visions. Okay, Because it's the Spirit of Jesus in us. He is how Jesus is present with us and He is very close. Therefore, talk to him as you would a friend. I do. I do. I say, maybe I'm facing a difficult situation. I'll say, what do you think, Lord? What do you think about this? I remember once when Emma and I were counseling a lady, um, and there had been some abuse in her background, and it just felt like we were hitting this brick wall. There, There just didn't seem to be any real breakthrough in her, in her emotions, and it just felt like there was a blockage. And so I remember one morning just saying, what is it, Lord? I mean, just talking to him as a friend. What is it, Lord? And the Holy Spirit just dropped this word in my mind. 
abortion. And when I shared it with her, she just broke down and and wept because she hadn't told anyone about this. But Jesus knew, and Jesus loved her enough to tell me about that so that she could receive healing. So talk to Jesus. Listen to him. Right? Prayer is a relationship. It's how we grow to know Jesus more. So is being in Christian community. Again, it's the atmosphere we breathe in. We grow to know Jesus more as we gather regularly with other Christians. Because we're not just going to a meeting. Please never think that it's just going to a meeting. Okay? No, we go to meet with the risen king. Right? Who promises to be in our midst when we gather in his name. That means we can expect to encounter him through the worship, through spiritual gifts that are exercised, the word that's being preached, the prayers and the counsel we might receive, the the communion that we might participate in. We can expect God to be speaking to us and ministering to us through his body. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 4, the body grows. We all grow. The body grows and builds itself up in love as each one of us plays our part. It was hearing God speak to me in a conference just like this that changed the whole course of my life. It led to Emma and I coming to the United States 17 years ago. You see, it's not just a meeting that we attend. It's who we're meeting with, isn't it? It's who we're meeting with. And it's one of the ways that we grow to know Jesus because he's promised to be present amongst his people. There's a reason why the writer to the Hebrews is writing to drifting Christians and says there, Hebrews 10.25, do not neglect in meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day of his return approaching. You know, there's a recent survey, um, the general social survey, that showed for married Christians... Those who don't attend church regularly are 20% more likely to end up divorced and separated than those who do. It's quite an amazing statistic. So sociologist uh, W. Bradford Wilcox wrote in Christianity Today recently about those poor marriage stats saying this. He said, lukewarm Christianity is a disaster for family life. Now, I know that's probably not you, because you're here, right? But there may be those who are not here for whom that might be true, that they are drifting. They're withering in their faith. I just want to encourage you to think about whether there is someone back home that you might get alongside when you go back after this, right? Where you might get coffee with them. Ask them how they're doing. Tell them that you miss them. Jesus will be right there with you. Right? This is the food that helps us stimulate our growth. Now, let me just mention a couple more areas, but I'll be very brief with these two, okay? And then we'll close. Second area, first is food, second is exercise. Because for living things to grow, they need exercise. If your muscles are going to grow, you've got to exercise them. So if food is all about what we're taking in, exercise is about what we're giving out. It's what we put into practice. And when it comes to growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, I would say this is primarily about exercising faith. It's about when we take those steps of faith, where we really have to trust Jesus for things. That's how we come to know Jesus with us in ways we may never have known if we weren't exercising faith. So, for example, um, we exercise faith when we praise him in difficult circumstances, when we praise him in the face of adversity, we praise Jesus. Like Paul and Silas in Acts 16, and there they are, they're they're praying and they're singing hymns, they're praising Jesus even while they're suffering in prison, and it leads to God's supernatural intervention, the doors being flung open of the prisons, and so on, right? Things like that will help your faith grow in Jesus. We exercise faith when we take God's word seriously and we act on it. Like in tithing. 
just to mention one that PJ brought to us on Friday night, about when he said about growing in faithfulness. Right? In Malachi, God says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Test me in this. Nowhere else does he say that. Test me in this. I want you to test me. Put me to the test. Please do it. Go on. I dare you. Test me in this and see if I won't open the floodgates of heaven and bless you so you have no need. Because God loves faith. He responds to faith. Right? Whenever we take that step of faith towards him, right, he is there. Loves to meet us there. And I know there are people all over this room who have stories like that of how God has met with them, provided for them in often miraculous ways when they've taken a step of faith. Ways that you may never have experienced if you hadn't exercised faith in them. So where is God calling you to exercise faith? Maybe it's in prophesying for the first time. Or maybe it's responding to a prophecy, you know, acting on it, a prophetic word that's been given to you. It might be in sharing Jesus with someone at work. Or maybe praying for someone who is sick in your workplace. might be serving someone when you yourself are in need. Or maybe it's reaching out to the immigrant or to the needy. I remember once when I was asked to help a man who was going to commit suicide. It was a, someone I knew kind of incidentally who wanted me to go around to this guy's bed sit because she was concerned he was going to commit suicide, and he was. He was an alcoholic who had reached the end of his rope and uh, had no, mo- left no money, no friends, no family, literally sat down to die. Now, I could have called emergency services and just left him with them because I didn't know the man, and I didn't feel like he could probably relate to me, and this was way outside my comfort zone, and I didn't know how I could help him anyway, Um, But I knew God was prompting me and Jesus was calling me to befriend him. And so I started visiting this man, spending time with him. I'd bring vinyl records around, which we'd play together. Had him come around to be with our family one Christmas, bring him along with me to our community group. And over time, we saw him come to faith. Praise God. He sadly never got free of the alcoholism. Just was too... Uh, terrified of going into rehab. And not long after that, he died and went to be with Jesus. Now he knows Jesus really well. And he's totally healed. But you know what? I came to know Jesus more through that. Because I, I came to see Jesus in him. I came to understand better what Jesus meant when he said, whatever you do for the least of these you do for me. What's Jesus been saying to you? How's he calling you to exercise faith so you might know him more? And even when you don't see the answers, that you are trusting him in your circumstances. And then finally, the third one is nurture. Just going back to the garden analogy, all right? Because a garden has to be nurtured. It has to be cultivated and tended and um, cared for, protected, right, if it's going to grow and flourish. Of course, one of the most important and laborious things is weeding. I mean, I hate weeding. Just more mulch, more mulch. (laughs) But it's essential because if you don't control the weeds, it will choke the life in the plants, Another one is keeping those critters out so they don't eat your plants. We've got a groundhog. I don't know how it does it, but it gets in through our fence, through that narrow gap between the slats. This is a big, fat groundhog, and we've seen it. I mean, I don't know how it does it. Okay, It's one of those kind of contortionists. It gets through that gap to come and eat all of Emma's herbs. And so we had to come up with a plan of action. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but... You can't be complacent where your garden's concerned, all right? It's the same with the garden of our lives and in our families 
and churches because there are weeds that need to be uprooted. There's critters that need to be kept out because otherwise they're going to hinder our growth and therefore our witness for Jesus. Right? It's why in Hebrews 12:1 it says, let's throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Is there anything you need to throw off? Anything you need to uproot that's harmful to your life in Jesus? Maybe the root of bitterness, unforgiveness, you know? Nothing will cause you to wither more than bitterness. It will choke the spiritual life in you if you don't do something about it. What about those uh, habits and vices that you don't have any control over? You think you do, but you keep going back to them. You just can't stop. Whether that's pornography, too much alcohol, maybe eating disorders, maybe it's social media for you, or anger issues, abusing others in some way. Maybe you're not even willing to admit it, but others have commented and you've just blown it off. Or maybe you just don't take it so seriously because you think, well, Jesus forgives me anyway. The reality is, if those things are left unchecked, your relationship with him will diminish. Because those habits will choke the life that's in you and cause you to wither. And if that's you, I really want to encourage you to talk to someone a trusted friend, maybe the person you're going to write on that card, you know, confide in someone. Ask for their support, for their help. All right? Don't worry about what others might think. There's way too much at stake here. I know we all, all of us, I suspect, probably prefer to keep our gardens private and block out the neighbors. But actually, we need to be thinking much more about community gardening. That's biblical. Community gardening. Because we need the help of others alongside us. And it's not just things we know are harmful, because sometimes it's the good things that can take priority in our lives, the things we live for, you know, the things that, if we're honest, satisfy us more than Jesus. That might be your career, it might be a relationship, it might be your children or a ministry. The point is, if we're not cultivating our relationship with Jesus, if he's not our main focus and our goal, we could end up losing everything. No one gets up in the morning and decides they're going to throw away their integrity or their marriage, their family, their life. The reason why it happens can be summed up in one word, Neglect. They just simply began to neglect their relationship with the Lord. And that doesn't happen overnight, by the way. That happens by degrees. They stop nurturing the garden. And when you, when you stop doing that, when you stop pursuing Jesus, you don't just stay as you are. Because neutral is not an option. There's way too much to contend with. We either grow or we wither. And if we aren't growing... We may one day look back on our lives and say, how on earth did this happen? How did I get into this mess? What happened to my marriage, my life? Well, it happened because you stopped nurturing the garden. It fell into neglect. And the thing is, we didn't even realize it was happening because it's gradual. It happens by degrees. But the good news is, that can all change, right? And it can start today. It can start right now. Peter's life, the Apostle Peter, right, his life turned around after he had just about shipwrecked everything, denied even knowing Jesus. I mean, it's all about not wanting to know Jesus more. I mean, denied even knowing him. And even after the resurrection, seemed to be drifting back to his old life, he said, I'm going fishing. It was a fruitless night, caught nothing, until Jesus intervened. Because Jesus will never let you go. 
And when he saw it was Jesus, he jumped out of that boat and he swam for the shore. And there on the beach, they had breakfast. Such a beautiful picture. Such a relational picture. Jesus making breakfast. And that's where Peter found forgiveness, restoration, and a recommissioning. And that's what Jesus wants to do here this morning. Listen, Jesus is not saying to you, you need to work harder and you need to do better. All right? He is not saying to you, read your Bibles, pray more, obey my commands, don't skip church or it might go bad for you. No. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus is saying to you and to all of us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Come to me. Return to me. He doesn't want us to become all introspective and despairing of ourselves. In fact, he wants us to get our eyes off of ourselves and onto him, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Peter says at the beginning of his letter that it's his divine power that has given us everything we need that pertains to life and godliness. It's all found in him. It's about our relationship with him, communing with him. And all these other things I've been talking about, they're the byproduct of that relationship. Right? They become our joy and delight as we're walking with him, as we're communing with him, listening to him. And if we will do that, if we will go from here and do that, then one day we'll look out and we'll say, wow, how did this garden grow? Where did all this fruit come from? This used to be asphalt and weeds. What caused this to grow? Well, God did. As Jesus said, my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. But it's as we abide in Jesus. So let's come to him now, shall we, as we close. Let's stand together.